Good morning. In today's headlines, President Biden set to push for more aid to Ukraine at the UN General Assembly today. And President Zelensky will visit the White House after his first in-person summit appearance since the war began. But will his message hit home? GOP presidential hopefuls will probably have to duke it out on the stage at the second Republican debate without current polling champ, former President Trump. Find out why. McCarthy's gamble. Will he be able to appease conservative hardliners and not become unpopular within the GOP conference? How will his impeachment inquiry play into the negotiations to keep the government running? We hear from an analyst. The five prisoners freed from Iran arrive back in the U.S. to reunite with their families. But critics say the swap incentivizes future hostage-taking. We speak to an expert. The missing F-35 fighter jet has been found. Find out where it was located after a mishap forced the pilot to eject. And a Florida police officer had a humorous encounter with a goat. No major injury is reported other than perhaps wounded pride. We have the story for you. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. Also from me, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, September 19th. And then with the UN summit underway, Russia is calling on the International Criminal Court to throw out a case brought by Kyiv, alleging that Russia falsely used genocide law to justify its invasion. Right. And on the other side, there is President Zelensky questioning why Russia has a place at the UN. Yeah, to begin with. Right. So a lot of news to get to. We're going to start off with our breaking news. That's right. President Biden is set to speak at the United Nations General Assembly in New York today. He's expected to push for more aid to Ukraine and promote democracy during his address. Leaders from at least 145 countries are attending. The U.S. will be the only country present with a permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council. China and Russia will be absent, along with France and the U.K. Talks are slated to focus on climate issues, sovereign debt relief and development goals. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says President Biden will cite the U.N. Charter on the proposition that countries cannot attack their neighbors and steal their territory by force. The president is set to meet Brazil's President Lula da Silva tomorrow. Lula has argued Western support for Ukraine could prolong an end to the war and has been a proponent of peace talks with Russia in the past. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will visit Washington to meet with Biden and members of Congress after his U.N. address. It will be his first in-person U.N. summit since the war started. Now we get some analysis on the U.N. General Assembly. We're going to look at what to expect from Zelensky's speech, China and Russia's absence, and U.S. aid to Ukraine. We're bringing in Brett Schaefer, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. He joins us live. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, and I hope you are, too. The U.N. director of the International Crisis Group says there is growing pressure for a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine. How do you expect Zelensky to balance this along with his clearly established goals of repelling the Russian invasion? Well, it's, I mean, the basic question is it takes two to tango. When you have a peace agreement, there has to be a genuine interest in having a peace agreement from both sides. Uh, and also the parameters for what a peace agreement would look like. Uh, Russia obviously would be delighted to have a peace agreement that secures their claims of territory in Ukraine. Ukraine would not have, want to surrender any territory to uh, Russia in any agreement. And so we seem to have a very wide gap between potential negotiations here between the two principal parties. 
but uh, I think Richard Gowan is also correct in that there are a lot of developing countries in, uh, in the United Nations uh, who feel that the focus on Ukraine, the amount of attention that Ukraine is receiving, the amount of resources that Ukraine is receiving, is diverting attention from some of their priorities, whether that's development finance, whether that's climate change, whether it's uh, 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 security situations in other areas of the world as well. Right, and at the same time, Gutierrez said that the UN's top priority is peace in Ukraine. President Biden is the only leader at the UN Security Council to attend. So, will you think that Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese leader Xi Jinping will not be there? Do you think that's going to be significant? What I think it says is it reflects that the UN is not the central place for a lot of these discussions anymore. Uh, it never really has been. Uh, when the UN was founded, the idea was that the UN would be the center for uh, handling major issues of international peace and security. It never really did fulfill that role or that expectation. During the Cold War, negotiations were principally between the United States, the Soviet Union, other major powers outside of the UN. The UN was largely paralyzed as we find it today with the major powers in the Security Council at odds, with Russia, China um, uh, willing to use or using their uh, veto in the Security Council, that body's finding itself incredibly um, uh, uh, seized up at the moment. And it's difficult to address these major issues when the interests of the major parties, the P5, are involved. Yeah, and some have said that more advancements can be made through these smaller regional alliances mm -hmm. like the G7 and such than the Ukraine. Biden is asking for $24 billion in aid to Ukraine, but American support for Ukraine aid is softening and GOP opposition to it is growing. So where do you see this going? There is, there's divided support. The, the Democrats are um, united in their support for additional aid to Ukraine. They want to support the White House. They want to support President Biden. Um, but there is divided uh, uh, views on the Republican side. Uh, there are some Republicans who want to support additional aid for Ukraine. They see this as a security issue, something that can advance U.S. interests by supporting Ukraine, but also by opposing Russia. Uh, they see that if Russia is successful in Ukraine, it might uh, create more ambition for Russia in Eastern Europe. It might encourage uh, China to uh, be more adventurous and more aggressive with, in respect to Taiwan or the South China Sea. And so there is a division there. And uh, I, I suspect at the end of the day, there's going to be uh, some kind of a compromise uh, between uh, the Congress and the White House, wherein some aid is provided, but possibly with some caveats or some conditions along the lines of greater oversight or uh, greater uh, insight into how those funds are used and uh, possibly creating a, a separate inspector general for that aid. Right, of course, and Russian success there is something that would definitely bring a lot of concern to the polls. A key speech is expected from President Zelensky, and he's likely to garner support or try to for his country and promote defense and recovery and food security initiatives. Do you think he'll have success there? He's a very effective speaker. I think that the case that he's making, which is that Russia's invasion is a violation of the UN Charter, the sovereign, sovereign territorial integrity of, of Ukraine, is a very persuasive one when he's making it before the UN General Assembly. I think that he's uh, very persuasively argued that Russia is committing war crimes. Uh, there's a lot of evidence in that area. Uh, and this is horrific uh, uh, message to communicate to the world community. I think he has a lot of sympathy uh, from the member states there. And I think he'll be effective at 
um, at sort of rallying and bringing attention back to the fact that this is a very serious situation that needs to be addressed. Brett Schaefer at the Heritage Foundation, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. The second Republican presidential debate now looks to be the second no-show for former President Donald Trump. Trump will reportedly be speaking in Detroit instead to current and former union members. Entity's Daniel Monahan brings us more on the plans. Trump's primetime remarks will be competing with the September 27th debate at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. The former president has maintained a large lead in national and early state primary polls. The third debate is scheduled to take place in Miami in November. The former president says he's unlikely to debate his GOP rivals, saying, I don't see it, why would I do it? But says he would participate in potential general election debates with President Biden. The news comes as the United Auto Workers, or UAW, strike has entered its fourth day. In an interview on NBC, Trump said that auto workers aren't going to have any jobs as electric cars will be made in China. The auto workers are being sold down the river by their leadership, and their leadership should endorse Trump. Trump added that just like school choice, he also wants choice for cars. If somebody wants gasoline, if somebody wants all electric, they can do whatever they want. Meanwhile, the UAW is ramping up pressure on the Detroit three automakers, threatening more plant strike announcements on Friday if no serious progress is made. The UAW last week launched a targeted strike against Ford, GM, and Stellantis, targeting one U.S. assembly plant at each company. Ford also faces a total strike at its smaller Canadian operations, with the union representing about 5,600 Canadian auto workers. The union and companies are at loggerheads over pay and benefits for workers. The three automakers have put forward 20% raises over the four-and-a-half-year term of their proposed deals, though that is only half of what the UAW is demanding through 2027. Besides higher wages, the UAW is also demanding shorter work weeks, restoration of defined benefit pensions, and stronger job security as automakers make the shift to electric vehicles. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. After House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unilaterally launched his impeachment probe into President Biden, he now has to face hardliners in his own party to get a deal to avoid a government shutdown. I want to learn more about this, so I spoke with a reporter who's been following this very closely. Check it out. Joining me now is Lawrence Wilson, a reporter for the Epic Times. Good morning, Lawrence. It's great to have you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. What is McCarthy's impeachment gamble? Well, briefly, uh, he had reversed himself last week uh, in saying that he would need to have a vote of the full House in order to uh, instigate or an impeachment investigation against Mr. Biden. Uh, and he up and did it on his own volition, announcing it uh, unilaterally on September the 12th. Now, the gamble appears to be that uh, he's taking a rather unpopular move with some of his caucus members in order to appease others who are very hardline conservatives and want very deep spending cuts or deeper than the Republicans are proposing on the upcoming appropriations bills. So it seems to be an effort to uh, mollify or at least keep some unity with hardline conservatives going into a really tough appropriations fight. 
Is there any evidence to suggest that these GOP hardliners will go for a passable appropriations agreement instead of wanting some kind of cuts that would be dead on arrival in the Senate just because the impeachment inquiry has been launched? No, there's no direct evidence of that. And the sources that I talked to said this seems to be more of a soft power move. It's not like a quid pro quo, but uh, he knows this is something that this uh, group of conservative members are really in favor of. And so it's a, a gesture to them and hopefully that it will soften their uh, positions or their willingness to listen and compromise a little bit on the upcoming fight. So it's not a strict deal as far as we can see, but more of a gesture toward people who really want something and he wants something from them in return. Well, to point out the obvious, McCarthy is speaker, and so he's proven himself to be at least somewhat of a good negotiator here. Of course, he, he gave some concessions along conservatives to make the rules, make it easier to fire him, and make it harder to pass these new spending provisions. But do you think McCarthy will keep his job? I gut feeling, I don't have anything other than that to go on, but he seems to stand a good chance. He's had nine political lives already in the nine months or so that he's been speaker. And he seems to come out uh, at least a little bit ahead every time. So uh, associates say that he's a master strategist. He is a real consensus builder. Uh, Representative Dusty Johnson of uh, uh, South Dakota told me that uh, he is uh, just a great at keeping in touch with his members, finding out who needs what, what they're thinking, uh, what they're looking for in negotiations. And that combination of skills seems to serve him very well in this really closely divided house. Lawrence Wilson, reporter for the Epic Times, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Just ahead, five Americans are free to return home after years in Iranian prison. But did the U.S. give more than necessary? We examine the details. And Rudy Giuliani is in the hot seat. His former legal team says he hasn't paid his legal bills. That story more when we return. And with the five freed Americans back on U.S. soil this morning, we want to bring in Victoria Coates for more analysis. She's the vice president of foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation. It's good to see you. Victoria, now what do you think? Was it the right move? Well, good morning. And of course, it's always a good day uh, when American citizens who've been unjustly detained come home. And I've worked on some of these cases from the White House. So personally, I'm very pleased uh, to see them freed. But at the same time, as President Trump said, once you start paying this kind of ransom and getting cash to a regime like Tehran, you know, they consider, the Mullahs in Tehran, consider hostage taking a legitimate tool of statecraft. They've been doing it since 1979. And when they think they have an American administration that's gonna play ball with them and give them what they want, of course, they're just gonna keep taking more hostages. So while good individually to get these folks out, I'm very concerned about what it means down the road. Mm, right, and talking about down the road, some say these are small steps to maybe more substantive discussions. So how likely do you think, for instance, uh, people float the idea that that could lead to future nuclear talks or uh, other disputes with Iran? So how, do you, how likely is that? 
Oh, I think it's very likely. The administration, the Biden administration, has been determined to get back into some version of the Obama-era nuclear deal from the very first days that they were in office. And uh, they've done a series of things, like take the Iranian terrorist proxies, the Houthi off the foreign terrorist organization list, you know, to which the Houthi responded with an outbreak of terrorism against our ally, Saudi Arabia. Uh, so the the administration has been appeasing them and trying to tempt them to the negotiating table. The Iranians have been playing a good game, exacting concessions like this from, from the Biden administration. And the fact of the matter is the Iranians have no intent of it complying with any kind of nuclear deal. It won't be worth the paper it's written on. And the administration has signaled they're going to be trying to implement it again through the United Nations, not even going through the U.S. Congress. So it won't be binding on a subsequent uh, president. So all of this seems kind of a little bit of the theater of the absurd. But certainly the release of the hostages this week indicates that the Biden administration is still trying to get to some sort of a deal. Understood. Well, and then let's talk about the $6 billion in frozen funds. The U.S. Treasury says it will restrict its use. Now, can you explain what makes the U.S. so confident that it has control over that money? Yeah, Admiral, Admiral Kirby knows better. He knows that the uh, Iranians are very practiced in money laundering, in reusing funds, repurposing funds, pretending they're using them for medical supplies when they're actually purchasing dual use technology that can have a military application. And then of course, if you give them $6 billion, even if they do spend it on uh, medical supplies and food, that frees up another $6 billion in their treasury that they don't have to spend for that, that they can then reallocate for military purposes, for their nuclear program, for their missile program that exists solely to attack Israel and the United States and Saudi Arabia. So it's it, nothing is more fungible than cash. So if to, to insist that we somehow have magical oversight of this and we're going to prevent them from uh, using it for nefarious deeds, is it just doesn't pass the smell test. And let's also talk about the UN for a moment here. So Canada and US are trying to renew the efforts against arbitrary detention. What impact do you expect will come from there? Sadly, I don't I don't see a lot of impact from from the United Nations on anything. You might notice, uh, of course, President Biden will speak, be speaking in a couple of hours, but two members of the Security Council didn't even bother to come this year, being Chairman Xi of China and President Vladimir Putin of Russia. And the fact that the UN can't do anything about uh, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, for example, just demonstrates how feckless this institution is. And we have the ongoing crisis in Syria, the natural disasters in uh, Libya, and the United Nations has, has nothing to offer. So you've really got to wonder why the American president is, you know, attending this sort of charade in New York when you have two of the other very powerful leaders in the world, Putin and Xi, not even bothering to show up. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Victoria Coates. There is a lot uh, to consider on the political level, but I'm sure for the family, there was really just one, um, one answer to this. But thank you so much for shedding light on this. I appreciate it. Thank you.
Well, and on the subject of Iran, thousands of Iranian Americans and supporters will gather for a massive rally in Manhattan today. They will mark the one-year anniversary of Iran's 2022 uprisings. The big rally will coincide with the UN General Assembly meeting. There will be speeches from several prominent politicians to support Iranians and protest the Iranian president's expected address at the General Assembly meeting. Sticking with New York, former Big Apple Mayor Rudy Giuliani is facing legal action from his old attorneys. They are suing him for more than $1.3 million in unpaid legal fees. According to a complaint filed Monday in New York State Court, the law firm Davidoff, Hutcher & Citron said Giuliani has only paid $214,000 toward his total bill. That's for work the firm's attorneys did on his now-closed foreign lobbying criminal investigation and January 6th related investigations. It also allegedly covers various lawsuits and probes that came after the 2020 election. The suit says Giuliani last paid the firm $10,000 four days ago. Giuliani issued a statement Monday saying the bill is, quote, in excess to anything approaching legitimate fees. Giuliani recently admitted he was struggling to pay for his mounting legal fees. He faces growing bills related to fallout for his alleged actions around the 2020 election. And Trump hosted a $100,000 plate fundraiser for Giuliani at his Bedminster, New Jersey golf club earlier this month. Hunter Biden has accused IRS whistleblowers of intentionally disclosing his private tax records. The president's son filed a lawsuit yesterday. Entity's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more on the story. Four days after being indicted on gun charges, Hunter Biden is alleging in a lawsuit that the IRS unlawfully disclosed his tax return information. And he blames two IRS agents. Filed on Monday, the lawsuit alleges that whistleblower agents Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler repeatedly and intentionally shared Biden's private tax information. Specifically, it states that the two agents tried to smear the young Biden by making statements at more than 20 nationally televised interviews in violation of the Internal Revenue Code and without congressional oversight. Shapley's attorney, Tristan Levitt, told Fox News that the lawsuit is frivolous. What you see here is that Hunter Biden's attorneys are accusing the whistleblowers of releasing this information, but it was the Committee on House Ways and Means uh, that has the legal authorization pursuant to laws that Congress itself wrote. That's who released this information. Prior to that, the whistleblowers only shared broad strokes that related to no taxpayer specifics. But once that information is released by Congress, just like it was with Trump's tax returns, it's public information and people can speak about it in whatever context. In June, the House Ways and Means Committee voted to publish transcripts of the whistleblowers' testimonies. These tax crimes cover an estimated 2.2 million in unreported tax on global income streams to Mr. Biden and his associates from Ukraine, Romania, and China, totaling 17.3 million from 2014 to 2019. Shapley and Ziegler testified in May. They testified that they faced various limitations during their investigation of Hunter's tax case. The lawsuit states that the agents didn't apply the same rights to Hunter as they did to every other American. Shapley's attorney says the lawsuit is an attempt to intimidate whistleblowers. We definitely aren't going to be intimidated by a frivolous attempt like this, and we hope that other whistleblowers who might potentially be considering coming forward won't be intimidated either. The IRS is not commenting on the lawsuit. Arlene Richards, NTD News. 
Just ahead, Canada and India expel each other's diplomats over allegations New Delhi calls absurd and motivated. More on what Canadian officials are calling a violation of sovereignty. And Ukraine's counteroffensive inches forward as soldiers start to break through Russian lines. A Marine Corps veteran's training efforts could help turn the tide. Canada expelled one of India's top diplomats yesterday. This over allegations the Indian government was linked to the assassination of a Sikh activist in British Columbia in June. India called the accusation absurd and expelled a Canadian diplomat today in response. It's given him five days to leave the country. The developing row comes as trade talks between the two nations weaken, with Canada cancelling a trade mission planned for the fall. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the tit-for-tat move. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said Monday that Canadian intelligence agencies are actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Najjar, a Canadian citizen. Najjar was murdered outside a Sikh temple in Surrey, British Columbia in June. Any involvement of a foreign government in the killing of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil is an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. Trudeau says he brought up the slaying with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi at the G20 summit in New Delhi last week and asked for cooperation in the investigation. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie called the allegations troubling and says she expects India to fully collaborate with Canada on its investigation. If proven true, this would be a grave violation of our sovereignty and of the most basic rule of how countries deal with each other. We've been clear we will not tolerate any form of foreign interference. Canada's public safety minister, Dominic LeBlanc, says Canada's national security advisor and the head of the country's spy service have traveled to India to meet their counterparts and to confront Indian intelligence agencies with the allegations. LeBlanc called it an active homicide investigation led by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. India's foreign ministry summoned Canada's High Commissioner, or Ambassador, in New Delhi on Tuesday. It called the diplomats' expulsion politically motivated and accused Canada of providing shelter to Khalistani terrorists and extremists. Indian authorities have targeted Sikh separatism since the 1980s, when around 400 people were killed in an armed insurgency for an independent Sikh state to be called Khalistan in Punjab. Canada has a Sikh population of more than 770,000 people, or about 2% of its total population. Canadian police have not arrested anyone in connection with Najjar's murder, but said last month they were investigating three suspects. They've asked for the public's help to find a possible getaway vehicle after issuing a description. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And now we're heading to Malcolm Hudson in the UK for some headlines from around the world. Good morning from the UK, Evelyn and Kevin. Ukraine has filed complaints with the World Trade Organization against Poland, Slovakia and Hungary over their bans on food imports from Ukraine. A senior government minister from Ukraine sees such restrictions as a violation of international obligations. Warsaw, Bratislava and Budapest say they are acting in the interests of their economies. Ukraine and Russia are now also in legal battle. Kiev wants judges at the International Court of Justice in The Hague to order Russia to halt attacks and pay reparations. It's alleging that Moscow abused the Genocide Convention to justify launching its invasion last year. Russia is calling on the court to throw out the case, calling it hopelessly flawed. 
A London police official said it will take years for the force to get rid of officers who have breached standards or weren't properly vetted before they were hired. Over 1,000 officers are currently suspended or on restricted duties as the department steps up efforts to root out bad cops. The force has been rocked by a series of scandals, including the arrest of a serving officer for the kidnap and murder of a young woman. For the first time ever, one in every 10 Japanese citizens are 80 years old or older. New data shows Japan has the biggest share of those aged over 65 in the world at nearly 30%, followed by Italy and Finland. This number is expected to go up to almost 35% in 2040. Earlier this year, Japan's Prime Minister said the country is on the brink of not being able to function due to its declining birth rates. That's all from me. Back to you both. Thank you, Malcolm. Ukraine's counteroffensive has gained steam in recent weeks as soldiers start to break through Russian lines. Now training from the West is making a difference. We get a unique chance to speak to a U.S. Marine veteran who trains Ukrainian civilians. Here's Entity's Andrew Thomas. Marine Corps veteran Lance Zoll has been working with Ukrainians since the first days of the invasion. He's taught them basic infantry tactics like room clearing, ambush response, weapons handling, and first aid. There were some regular army, but most of them were very green. They didn't have combat experience. Um, so most, the majority of them were civilians that had no military experience. Zoll started the Ghosts of Liberty organization to support Ukraine's war effort and provided equipment such as armored plate carriers and night vision scopes. It's life or death for them. Um, so. You know, they're more keen to uh, to take it seriously and pay attention. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, they, they were very, very quick learners. In the beginning, they knew nothing. While Ukraine may be far away, the country's future has implications for the West and the rest of the world. China is also watching the conflict closely as it considers invading Taiwan. And it's one of the best things I've done, um, you know, in my life. And certainly with my military experience is the thing I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of. Uh, is going to a country that you know, has an invading force that is committing evil atrocities. Zal also had another reason to help. His friend Ivan from business school. Ivan's wife and two kids fled to Poland after the invasion. But like many Ukrainians, he decided to stay behind and fight. I think the strategic interest in Ukraine is, is a global strategic picture because, as we've known before the invasion, uh, Putin has talked about creating a new world order, uh, and he's courted China and invited China in that. And I think that is the, the bigger picture. Some American political and military leaders and media have been critical of Ukraine's progress, but Zal calls that criticism misguided. There's been a lot of talk, you know, in the media, oh, well, we expect them to have these results in the counteroffensive, and we expect this to be really fast. And and that's really um, an unrealistic expectation because they don't even have enough ammunition to support an effective offensive. Zoll also explains how impatience could lead to a massive strategic failure on the ground. The worst thing that they can do is rush into heavily fortified defensive positions, not having the equipment that they need, and then losing a lot of the equipment and manpower uh, that they've already that they've already built up. I think that's the worst thing that they can do. That's like doing a picket's charge at Gettysburg and just losing a main part of your army. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
That does speak volumes that civilians in Ukraine need to stand up and defend their homeland. Right, and so I, I think we can really appreciate what he does, right? Keeping the civilians safe at yes. the same time. Yeah, and, and risking a lot doing so. Yeah. And to break now, he said he went to the Capitol as a journalist. The jury disagreed. Another J6 defendant faces time behind bars. And a suspect in the ambush killing of an L.A. County Sheriff's deputy has been detained. Find out what led police to find him. A missing F-35 fighter jet has been found after going missing near a South Carolina military base. We have the details and more coming up. Good to have you back. A January 6th defendant who claimed to be a journalist has been convicted. Stephen Horn was found guilty on four misdemeanor counts, including disorderly conduct in the Capitol. Horn allegedly scaled a statue of Abraham Lincoln inside the building and invaded Nancy Pelosi's office. He wrote an X after the verdict that he entered the Capitol building to accurately document and record a significant event that was taking place. The Supreme Court could hear three January 6 cases for the first time later this year. Any rulings could have an influence on former President Trump's criminal indictments. Meanwhile, three more J6 defendants have joined a petition asking the Supreme Court to review the DOJ's use of an evidence tampering law in their persecution. The dispute centers on the interpretation of the statute originally meant to combat financial fraud. And in South Carolina, the debris of what's believed to be the missing F-35 fighter jet has been found. The aircraft crashed on Sunday following a mid-air mishap. Here are the details. Joint Base Charleston announced Monday afternoon that search teams found debris from the missing F-35 fighter jet in rural Williamsburg County, South Carolina. The debris field was located two hours northeast of the military base. The military thanked the local and state authorities as well as the FAA for the search. Residents were asked to avoid the area while a recovery team worked to secure it. The F-35B fighter jet belonged to a Marine Corps base in North Carolina. It crashed during a mission Sunday afternoon. The military didn't say what mission it was performing, but said the jet had a mishap mid-air. The Marine Corps said Monday, the mishap is currently under investigation and we are unable to provide additional details to preserve the integrity of the investigative process. The pilot was ejected safely out of the aircraft and was taken to a hospital in stable condition. The F-35B is worth around $90 million. It's among the most advanced fighter jet models. The aircraft is capable of vertical takeoff and landing and has stealth modes to shield it from radar. This is the third Class A mishap for the U.S. Marine Corps over the past six weeks. Incidents are classified as such when damages exceed $2.5 million. A Department of Defense aircraft is rendered beyond repair or when there is loss of life or permanent disability. And now we bring you some of the latest headlines. Alec Murdoch has agreed to plead guilty to 22 federal charges, including bank fraud and money laundering of over $7 million. The disbarred South Carolina lawyer is serving life imprisonment for murdering his wife and son. He still faces more state and federal charges. 
The L.A. County Sheriff's Office said they captured a suspect in the ambush shooting of one of their officers. Kevin Cataneo Salazar was taken safely into custody after a long standoff outside of his home. Tips from the public led police to quickly find the suspect. Ovidio Guzman pleaded not guilty to charges in a Chicago court. He's being accused of drug trafficking, money laundering and more. The court alleges he and his brothers took over a Sinaloa cartel after his father, El Chapo, received a life sentence in 2019. The Writers Guild of America and major Hollywood studios will resume talks in an effort to resolve the month-long work stoppage. Writers want higher compensation and protections around the use of artificial intelligence. Picket lines outside studios will continue until a settlement is reached. I am really curious to see how they're going to work out an agreement between the writers and the others because that's something that really jeopardizes their job, artificial intelligence. Yeah, exactly. And um, let's see if it will come to an end soon because as we have heard before, right, the people, um, me, uh, middle income actors, they are really struggling with this too. Right. Yeah. Yes. Very important. Going to give you some more coverage in just a moment. The U.S. national debt hitting a record-breaking $33 trillion. How will it affect the nation and your life? We hear more from NTD business host Don Ma. And you may have to start paying a monthly fee to use X, formerly known as Twitter. Elon Musk says it's to combat a vast armies of bots. Welcome back. For the first time in U.S. history, the national debt has hit a milestone, topping $33 trillion. Here to discuss this is NTD business host Don Ma. Don, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I hope you're having a good one. So how is this new record of debt going to impact us? Well, let me just point out, Kevin, this isn't going to be the only milestone. There's going to be more milestones in the future, I believe. But as for how this is going to impact us, I mean, that's, it's going to weigh on economic growth, right? Uh, there, there's a high correlation between the amount of debt and economic growth. Um, so why is it going to weigh on economic growth? Well, if you have more debt, what does that mean? You have to pay more interest on that debt. And that interest, that interest payment, uh, the money going into that could have been used into the economy, but now it's not. So that that is one factor. And another factor is that, I mean, we're, we're spending deficit levels, right? Um, and with that, that means we're going to have to either increase tax, uh, tax revenue, which means more taxes on Americans, or we're going to have to borrow more to pay back the debt that we already have. And either option is not going to be good. Um, I mean, we can always print more money to pay back uh, the amount that we owe, but that's just going to uh, make inflation even worse. So, you know, the, I think one of the only options that we have is to uh, slow down spending, but, you know, we, we, we need a leader to help us do that. Right, and the U.S. has had many obligations around the world that it has to fulfill with that money, but it, it comes at a price, this debt. So, Don, gas prices have been going up steadily this year. What's going on with that? Yeah, the national average price for gasoline reached a, a 2023 high of $3.88. Uh, the high cost is, is blamed on a supply shortage uh, from production cuts uh, by Saudi Arabia and Russia. Okay, so Don, do you think that there's going to be any relief in sight there? 
Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, the summer season is over. Uh, normally, we should see some relief there because, uh, you know, the summer season is, is when people travel the most. But, you know, it seems like we haven't seen that. Um, perhaps uh, in, in, later in the year, we'll see some relief. But, you know, it's, it's hard to say right now. Apple just released its iOS 17 iPhone software update. John, can you highlight some of the new notable features here? Sure, uh, Kevin. I think one of the bigger features here is that with this update, you'll be able to use AirDrop uh, much easier. Uh, before, if you wanted to transfer a file using AirDrop, you had to uh, uh, to another iPhone. You had to go through a ton of clicks, right? Uh, for anyone who's used AirDrop, they know this. But with this update, you don't have to click anything anymore. You just bring your phone uh, closer to another phone, and the file transfer will start start automatically. And it's not just limited to files either. You can also uh, share contact information like this as well. You just bring your phone closer uh, to another person's and the number is exchanged uh, automatically. Um, and there, there's a lot of new features with this, this update. Uh, but let me just mention one more, Kevin. Uh, another new feature is called live voicemail. And what this will do is it, it can transcribe a caller's message in real time as they're leaving the message. So you can see what they're saying and you can decide if you want to answer the call after all while they're still on the line. Um, and FaceTime will also let users leave uh, uh, video messages as well if somebody doesn't pick up a video call. Um, yeah, th those are just some of the notable uh, updates. That's interesting. So if your voicemail passes the test, then they answer you. All right, well, thanks, Don, host of NTD Business. Sure, no problem, Kevin. And social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter, will move to monthly subscription fees. Elon Musk announced the decision during a roundtable with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday. Musk said the fee would combat vast armies of bots since it would be difficult and expensive for bots to create accounts. Musk didn't specify how much the monthly fee would be and what features it would or would not include. During the roundtable, Musk noted that X now has 550 million monthly active users. Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion in October 2022. Yeah, Musk seems to be managing the company fairly well, and I know that was one of his goals, was to eliminate those spam bots. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, in that regard, it sounds like a good idea, but interesting to see how that will play out, um, you know, since platform economy is based on maximizing those users and interactions. I don't know what, those, what a fee will do to the users. Ah, yeah, that's... They're willing to pay. There's so much free alternatives out there. That's an interesting question you pose here. So stay with us. Georgia Aquarium leads an international effort to save the critically endangered bowmouth guitarfish. And a goat in Florida makes a police officer the butt of his colleagues' jokes. These stories coming up after the break. Good to have you back. Have you ever heard of a bowmouth guitarfish? A partnership between America and Taiwan is looking to save these fish who are on the verge of extinction. Here's the story. Through a stroke of luck, one of the many animals on the critically endangered species list may be rescued from the brink of extinction. The bowmouth guitarfish may be unknown in the West but it's been fished to near extinction in the Pacific, East Africa, Japan, and Australia. 
The fish are harvested for use as jewelry and fake shark fins used in soup. That entire genre of animals is highly endangered through overfishing, overharvest, uh, shark finning uh, trade, and now jewelry. Parts of the animals are used as jewelry. The aquarium wants to use the fish to raise awareness to visitors of the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. They are also collaborating with a group of Taiwanese colleagues in a conservation effort. So the three animals that we have here now at the off-site facility were the result of a conservation project that we wanted to get involved with, with our colleagues in Taiwan. And so rather than the animals um, potentially going into the trade for restaurants or uh, seafood, we went ahead and acquired them and brought them here for use as conservation animals, uh, ambassadors of their species and other um, animals that live in the ocean. Um, so they're here for uh, public display and potentially a long-term breeding project in the future. The three fish were originally born in Taiwan after a fisherman accidentally caught a pregnant mother. Now the Georgia Aquarium and National Taiwan Ocean University and another group have formed a 10-year partnership to breed the fish in captivity. Bowmouth guitarfish aren't a prolific species and are being fished faster than they can reproduce. In the next 10 years, the group hopes to restock the ocean with these fish. It's really great to see efforts to protect these would-be endangered species. Yeah, great initiative. And moving on, a goat versus deputy standoff. All caught on video, Florida Deputy Patrick McFetridge found himself in a man versus goat situation. The video was posted by his colleague Sheriff Michelle Cook. It went viral after the local sheriff's office reposted it. When the deputy tried to let the goat out of a gate, it started pushing him and headbutting him. Thankfully, no one was hurt, though the deputy's pride might have taken a small hit. Looks like he's really friendly with him there. <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to like help him get out. <laughs> what a cute fellow. Yeah, what a nice way to end the show. That's right. Uh, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us with some feedback if you have any. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.